In the name of Jesus, amen. Today's reading directs us, all of them direct us to the dependability of God. Our Father's steadfast faithfulness toward us, toward you. And ultimately to the revelation that faithfulness is found in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, who alone serves the one and true master, having not two masters, or like we do, having a plethora of masters, but only one, his Father in heaven. In the Gospel reading, we are instructed not to be anxious about the needs of this life, of your earthly life. And that is a text that always strikes right to the heart, because we all are anxious almost all the time, it seems like. The text says, what will you eat, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. We are not to be worried about these things, because life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. And to make his point, Jesus directs our attention to the way our Heavenly Father takes care of lesser aspects of his creation. The birds of the air and the grass of the field with the lilies. The opening and closing verses of that gospel pericope from Matthew summarize two things. The problematic and the proper mindset that we are to have in light of God's existence. The problematic mindset is addressed in Matthew 5.24, the very beginning of our reading. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, Jesus says. That's the problem, isn't it? We think we need to have a certain amount of wealth to provide for our needs food, drink, clothing, and all the other extravagant creature comforts that we Americans convince ourselves are necessities in this life. In this way, we're very much a continuation of the Gentilic nations that Jesus mentions. Matthew 6, 31-32, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. We are just like those nations. In fact, America is made up mostly of Gentile nations, originally. For this reason, Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then he gives us the correct, the proper mindset we ought to have. Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And what a beautiful thing it is to have a baptism on a day with this reading. And these readings are scheduled by the historic lectionary, not by me. These, I love the way the Lord just kind of always brings the right text for the right moment this way. Because after baptism, what is there to be anxious about? Madison James Shiny belongs to Christ, to his father. Nothing can hurt her, even if she is physically hurt, right? Even if we lose our lives, 
We say, thank you for sending me to my father. Death for us has become a portal. This is how the ancients talked about baptism. Baptism turns the death that all men will experience, unless you happen to be alive when the Lord returns, but the death that all men naturally will experience, baptism takes that death and flips it, and for the Christian, turns it into a portal to heaven. So what can they do? What can anything do to us? Paul will get passionate about this, probably more passionate than I can ever get, about how nothing, not sword, nor famine, no height, nor depth, anything, angels, nothing can take you away from Jesus. Through baptism, you are bound into his body. You are literally a member of his body. You're part of Christ. From now on, when we see Madison, we see Jesus. And Jesus is victorious over the devil. Jesus has no reason to be anxious about anything. Last week, Judy was brought into this wonderful choir. Nothing can hurt her. Her death has been converted into a portal to life. And this is why I love to say, what can they do? Take away your birthday? No. That's there. What can they do? Take away your baptism birthday? No. We can forget about it. We can walk away from the reality, but as soon as we remember it, we're right back in it. So take note of when Jesus gives this instruction in the pericope that there was nothing to be anxious about. He says this only after he has highlighted the goodness of our Heavenly Father. In this text here today, Jesus is an apologist for the faith. He is, he is engaging in apologetic maneuvers as he's teaching. He does what his disciple Peter will tell us all to do later in 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. What's the reason that Madison has for the hope that's in her? Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb as the first fruits as the seal of what she has been given. That she will be resurrected on the last day, just as Christ was. By pointing to our Father's observable, steadfast goodness toward his creation and the high value of mankind within that creation, Jesus delivers an apologetic, a defense for his reasoning. He says, don't just believe it blindly. Believe it because you can see it in nature. Look at how God takes care of all of his creation. Do you not think that he will also take care of you who are the chief of his creation, the pinnacle of his creative powers and works and the splendor of, his, of what he's brought forward into this world? If he takes care of the birds and the lilies of the field the way he does, they're more clothed better than Solomon in all of his glory. And yet, look what the Lord does for them, these little flowers. Will he not also do it for you? That's a beautiful baptismal gown, but it's nothing compared to what God has prepared for her that she will wear when she gets to heaven. That's why the dresses are always gorgeous, right? They're white. They represent the, the white of Christ's robe of righteousness, the purity of Christ's robe that he has prepared for all of us. This is what our Old Testament reading from 1 Kings is also teaching us, isn't it? What a wonderful story, this widow of Zarephath preparing to die. She's on her last meal. She's gathering the Basically, turning on the stove. You know, Nancy's going into her house. Nancy's turning on her stove. What you doing, Nance? 
Oh, I'm just cooking the last of our food so we can die tomorrow. That's amazing. This is where the woman's at. And, and she has to then believe the Lord's word. Spoken not directly from him, but through his messenger. Through his prophet, right? The Lord sent his prophet to the widow and commanded the widow feed him. And she's like, but this is it. This is all I have. And by the end of the reading, the jar of flour was not spent. The jug of oil would not run out as long as there was no rain in the land. We all recognize that. California's drought that we always hear so much about. How about the drought of sin that we're living in? And it seems to be getting more and more parched. This sinful earth we live in, sinful world, it seems to be getting less and less watered these days, drying out more and more so. Are we preparing our last meal just to die? Not with the Lord's word. Not with the Lord's word. His word never runs out. This too is what we heard in our Galatians text. 6, 6 to 10. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. That's exactly what was happening in Zarephath. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Forever, whatever one sows, that will, which he will also reap. Matthew and Rachel have sown faith in Madison's heart and in their family today. They will reap the benefits of that sowing. When we, when we sow to the flesh, as Paul says, that's what we will, will, we will reap. Sorry, corruption. I see a lot of R's and P's in the text in front of me. It's not working. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap good if we do not give up. If we do not give up. Don't you feel like quitting sometimes? Don't you feel like, oh my goodness, more of this? More of this? So then, as we have opportunity, Paul says, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And this is where the law of our Lord shows us our sin, isn't it? We sow to the flesh far more than we sow to the Spirit. Today we have this wonderful example of sowing to the Spirit. But we're all guilty of sinning. We all sow to the flesh far more than we sow to the Spirit. We care more about money, back to our gospel reading. We care more about money than about the kingdom of God. Practically, pragmatically, the way we live. We seek money first and are okay with the kingdom of God later if we have time. We dispense with the very words of Jesus that came out of his incarnate lips, his mouth, and insist on serving two masters and more. We even use the language of the one master to convince ourselves that, the, that our service to the other is good and holy. We find ways of justifying serving money, serving self, serving whatever other God we have. We, ha we have ways of using the Bible to back it up. That's how much we mock God. We find ways of deceiving ourselves so that we can live with our sinfulness. And in the process, we do make a mockery of God and his word as we tell ourselves that prioritizing work, to put food on the table, right? That's a, that's a good and just thing, to put clothes on people's backs, our family's backs. That's good, right? God would want me doing that. It's not out of whack to care more about my career than catechesis in Christ? Who could say that? Only that crazy pastor at St. Mark's. 
God understands that church, the communion of saints that he instituted to deliver his word and sacrament, the grace that his son achieved by a bloody death on the cross, he understands that that has to come second after earning a paycheck, right? No, does he? No. That's the way we think as fallen men. This is the sophomoric problem, right? Are you familiar with what the, the word sophomore means? Well, it's basically, here's a, here's a loose translation. It's basically somebody who knows enough to be dangerous. Right? Think about it, both high school and, 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 high, and college. By your second year, you think you know things. You think you got it down. You know enough to be dangerous, but you haven't quite figured it out. Right? Um, that's where we're at. As Christians, on this side of the resurrection, still seeing dimly through that veil, we think we know how things are. And so we like to use God's word to justify our sin. We know just enough to be dangerous. And so we, of all people, need to be on guard not to make a mockery of God, as Paul says in, our, in today's epistle reading. Because we are, of all, God, of all people in creation, we are the ones who can do it more than anyone else. We know God's word. And we know enough of God's word to justify sinning against it. And we do that to ease the sting in our own conscience to sear our conscience, to numb our conscience, to make us feel better at night so we can sleep. And we know we do this because we still do chase after other masters and we still do worship other things, even though God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All Christians, who, all people who call themselves Christians should be in church today. Everyone should be, if they're seeking first the kingdom of God especially those of a sacramental faith who, who understand that this gift brought them into a whole new kingdom that gave them eyes to see and ears to hear that this gift, the Eucharist, is literally the blood of Christ, the body of Christ. You, you know why people aren't here? Because they're seeking first the kingdom of this world. And they don't actually believe that is what Jesus said it is. They don't actually see the value in hearing some pastor talk for 15, 20 minutes about a reading that they heard from a dry old dead book. They would rather watch football. Or in, on a day like this in Humboldt County, go to the beach or go to the Redwoods or barbecue or whatever. Those are wonderful things. But the barbecue is not going to get me into heaven. And I'm not saying you have to be here to get into heaven. But eventually your torch, your flame that you got, this is symbolic, but the real flame that you've got in baptism, if you don't keep that lamp lit, the oil poured into that lamp, the ten widows, if you don't keep the faith alive, where's the fuel to keep your light going? You'll look around and you'll be like, where's my light? I don't have a light. Hey, give me some of yours. And you'll be like, dude, get your own. The Lord's coming back right now. Oh, the ten virgins. I said widows. The ten virgins. That's great, great story. <sighs> I love the Bible. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all earthly things that we seek after will be added to you. That's the, that's the law, isn't it? Because we don't do that. Oh, you little faith, he says. Do you see your sin? Maybe, maybe your sin is, is work. Maybe your sin is play. Maybe your sin is stuff. Maybe your sin is self. Maybe these are the things you put above God. They're, they're your masters. 
What are you seeking before the kingdom of God? Maybe it's health. Maybe it's, maybe it's longevity of life. Maybe it's sustaining a relationship. You don't want to see a certain relationship break because you're a Christian. And you know if you bring it up too much, that relationship will probably die. From your perspective. Been there, done that. Let it die then. Be the Christian. Seek first the kingdom of Christ. Is money, food, clothing, clothes, your material goods, your relationships with others, are they really that much more important than inheriting the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God? This is what I wrestle with. I think it's what we all wrestle with. And so we need to ask ourselves this question, why do you not trust God to feed you? Why do you you not put your faith in him first and let him give you the blessings that are going to put food on your table, your jobs, all those sorts of things, your retirement plans and these kind of things, they are blessings from God. Don't let them become gods themselves. Keep them as blessings in your vocations. It's... It's our sinfulness that distorts it. This is the word that Jesus has saved us from, sin. We take, we're so, we're good at this. We take what is a blessing and we make it into a curse. We take a job, we take clothing, we take food, and all of a sudden it becomes the thing that we're serving rather than it being a tool that serves us. <coughs> like the prophet Elijah, Jesus went to say, do not fear. Do not fear because our God is dependable because our father is steadfastly faithful to us. We can eat and that jar will not empty and that flour will not be spent. Jesus took on flesh to save us. He preached the truth to us and he lived the truth that we would seek after the kingdom of God, that we would, we would truly be receiving the eternal kingdom. He, he lived out the word. This is, this is wonderful gospel here for all of us. Paul says that we're supposed to, if anyone catches someone in transgression, chapter 6, verse 1 from our reading, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him to a spirit of, in a spirit of gentleness. This is what we're supposed to do, but who did actually do it? Jesus. Who is caught in transgression? Come on, really? <laughs> I know, we don't like to participate. And who was the spiritual one who came and restored us in the spirit of gentleness? Now, you can't tell there in the, in the English, but gentleness, it makes you kind of think of just someone who's really soft, like, like quiet, nice. This is meekness. And meekness is having the ability to do something and subjugating it, letting it sit. This is having the ability for Jesus. Jesus could have pulled himself off the cross at any moment, but he didn't. He was gentle. He was meek. He allowed it to be done to him. So we are to restore people in a spirit of, of meekness. Having the power not to. Having the power not to forgive, but to forgive. That kind of a thing. You and I are the ones who are caught in transgression. We sin. We serve the masters of our own making, whatever they may look like. We turn blessings into idols, be it money, possessions, food, time, family, even life itself. We care more about these things. And so Jesus comes. Jesus, who is spiritual, he comes and what does he do? He restores us in the spirit of gentleness, of meekness. He goes to the cross and he says, all those people are now mine. I want them. I want to do what the Father says. And then we become the things that he gets because he kept the law so perfectly. We become his bonus, his reward. He bore our burdens and so fulfilled the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ, by the way? 
I know this is getting, we're running on a little bit. I'm going to wrap it up, I promise. But love. love. Thank you, Peggy. The law of Christ is love. If you want to know how to keep the law, love your neighbor. That's it. Love. Now you got to know what the word love means. And you know, I like to say, it's not found on the Hallmark Channel. I mean, there's expressions of love on the Hallmark Channel, but it's not just that. It's not just sentimental, romantic, or, or kind feelings. Love is truly serving someone in honest, honesty, integrity, truth. It is doing what is good for them, even when they don't think so. If my son wanted to go play on Highway 101, blindfolded, just to see what would happen, I would probably tell him not to, because I love him. And he would probably, well, not him, but hypothetical pretend Jonas would probably balk at it. And he'd be like, why are you taking away all my fun? Well, because semis come down that road, and I don't want to see you as a greasy spot on the asphalt. I love you too much. See, we're in a world that doesn't think of love that way. That's why I make the comment, that don't, I'm not dissing on the Hallmark Channel, but we tend to think that love is just that. Love is also no. The stove will burn you. Don't touch it. No. Keep your hand out of the cookie jar because you're going to eat dinner and I don't want to spoil your dinner and the food there is, is going to be nourishing to you. The cookie is for dessert. No, no, no. This is why we got to get back to appreciating the negative. And I don't mean the negative isn't like the bummer, but the negative words, the things that actually guard us and keep us about within bounds. They're healthy. And they keep the wrong things out of bounds. That's healthy. Jesus kept the law of Christ as he is Christ. He loved you, Gene, I see you. He loved you all the way to the cross, each and every one of you. This is why he, we can say he loved you to death. Literally, to his death, he loved you. You ever say, I love you to death? That's powerful. Jesus literally loved you all the way to the cross. He was murdered for you. He was crucified for you. Praise be to God, we have a, a Lord who loves us so much. Who says yes and no, do, don't. But also says, I will take care of all your transgressions. I come in a spiritual way, a spiritual mindset, a heavenly focus. I seek first the kingdom of God to bring you with me. This is what Jesus has done. He's done it for all of you. Today, he has brought Madison into that. Last week, he brought Judy into that. He's going to bring more into that with every baptism and every, every hearing of the word. I used to joke with Judy this last year as she would come and talk. Sorry to put you in the hot seat, Judy. But as she would come and talk with me and she was going through catechism, I'd say, you're conceived. You're in the womb right now. You haven't been baptized yet, but you've heard the word. And just as we fight for life, in the womb that is alive, you can believe, right? The word generates faith. The baptism is your birth into that kingdom, that certainty that you are alive, that you, you belong in that family. So Judy had a, about a nine-month-long uh, conception. I mean, you were, you were, what do they call that? Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Um, so wonderful stuff. And baptism brings us into that family. Dear saints, what I want you to take away today, in, in conclusion, our Lord loves you so much that he came like the prophet going to Zarephath. He spoke his word of promise. We are all now saved by him. Know he's forgiven you. He loves you. 
He died for you, and you are his. Amen. Amen. In the name of Jesus, amen.